Hello, and welcome to episode one of the Zachtronics podcast, where we go behind the scenes and explore how indie games are made. I'm Zach Barth, the creative director of Zachtronics, and my guests today are Zach Johnson and Kevin Simmons of Asymmetric Productions. Publications, actually. Asymmetric Publications. Um, you, it's okay, uh, it's, a terrible, it's a terrible name. That yeah. Is, yeah, that actually, that was the first thing that threw me for a loop when I was looking you guys up, uh, is that you guys don't do books. You know, maybe, who knows? We... Uh, we have published uh, the occasional choose your own adventure. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Well, we haven't really published it, right? We've we've printed them out and then handed them to people. That's like publishing. It's sort of like religiously flitting, also, I guess. Uh, so, asymmetric publications was uh, one of my first personal websites. Was in the form of a newspaper because uh, I had just learned about tables. And so I could do some some columns. Like HTML tables. Yeah, HTML tables. Okay. Yeah. Not not like the flat surface no, on which. Yeah, it's like finally <laughs> I have somewhere computers. to put my computer. <laughs> I can actually make a web page. But I just I put a fake copyright notice at the bottom of it that said Asymmetric Publications Limited, and then when it came actually time to form a company, I just called it the dumb thing that I had made up for that website in 1994. That's sort of the story of how most of the things that we've made, right? Like Kingdom of Loathing, which was our sort of flagship video game was kind of a not really like you didn't intentionally name it in a lot of ways right yeah i guess not i needed a i needed a name for the folder to put the game files in when i first made them and i just typed loathing and then decided that, that was the name <laughs> but yeah good. that's why our company has a terrible terrible name can we jump back sometimes when you and have you guys introduce yourselves Sure. Oh, sure. You guys are really Johnson. eager to jump in on that. So, yeah, um, can you each uh, identify yourselves and say hello? Hello, I'm Zach Johnson. And I'm Kevin Simmons. Excellent. You um, didn't say hello, Kevin. No. That's true. So so what do you guys actually do? I mean, so we've, you know, we've hung out a bunch of times at GDC, but I actually don't know what you guys are both responsible for on a day-to-day -day basis. I guess I'm probably the creative director, and Kevin is probably the producer uh, but he's also sure. sort of business manager and like numbers guy. Yeah, I'm, I'm like a balanced designer or something. I do most of the design, half the writing, all the art. Um, for Kingdom of Loathing. For Kingdom of Loathing, yeah. We, we now have a couple other video games under our belt. What are those? So we made a terrible game called Word Realms. Oh, it's nice of you to it's nice of you to say that it's terrible because it's it's actually I like it a lot, uh, but it's it was a huge commercial failure, which we can happily talk about. Yep. Oh, and I'm going to ask about for sure. Uh, and then we have made another game, which is basically just remaking Word Realms uh, in a sort of uh, more accessible light uh called master swords um which was specifically for a for a it was a contract gig for an educational software company that you have also worked for yes. oh yes yeah, um, I and i think you've played master swords right yes. you yeah, were yeah. you were uh, you were telling us at gdc how terrible the uh cold open of text was yes. oh yeah that the publisher made us put there yeah yep yeah i was so that was the first time we ever did anything for a publisher uh, we are now. We have just started working on uh, a, f a new game that is going to be a standalone um, game in the in. I, I want to say the style of Kingdom of Loathing, but it's no, it's in the universe of Kingdom the of universe. Loathing. It's in the continuity of Kingdom of Loathing. It's, it's called, called West, West of, of Loathing. Loathing. Yeah. So it's a Western. Uh, it's a it's a Western Western RPG. <laughs> in that it is <laughs> in that it is a Western RPG as its video game style, and also it is about cowboys. Cool. Yeah. Is that that's gonna be downloadable, like on Steam? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I hope so. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the uh, the dream, right? The Steam dream. Yeah, the Steam dream. Yeah, I assume that 
uh, we would be able to get a video game on Steam I at this so. point. Yeah. I, I still don't really know how. Although, uh, it seems like Greenlight is definitely within our grasp. Like, the number of votes that you need on a Greenlight project to get it on Steam now seems to be less than the number of people I believe we can mobilize. Yeah. Uh, which has not always been the case. Yeah, when we when we finished Word Realms, we, we looked into getting it on Steam and just heard a bunch of really discouraging statistics. And so just kind of didn't even bother was this pre whereas with this with or... this western this was, game it, Greenlight had just launched like two, okay. two months earlier so. seldom has heard a discouraging word that's true <laughs> um yeah so it I, as i as i understood it at that time you needed like 80 90,000 votes wow. to to break the top and and i know uh sunless sea recently published their uh their sort of history of that and they gave, they got through with like 10,000. Wow. Yeah, I, I doubt we'd be able to get 90,000 votes on one of our Greenlight was weird. I mean, it still is. They were just taking the very very top of the chart for a long time because they would do they would do a batch of like 10 games every couple of weeks. Mm, yeah. And all with zombies. And now it's and now it's like 100 games a, a week or something. Yeah. It's greenlit. Jesus. But it seems like they still, they took an impenetrable process and replaced it with a different impenetrable process. Yep. Impenetrable to understand? Or? Yeah, because you just don't know. I mean, yeah. sure. Opaque. Makes, makes That's sense. what I meant. Can I, can I jump back to by light. talking <laughs> sure. about you guys for a second? Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> so I'm curious, what, what are your backgrounds? Uh, wow. Uh, I have a psychology degree. Yeah, uh, I've, I've got degrees. Which in... you use every day, I'm sure. Yeah. That's true. You you you, you make skin. Well, I was being sarcastic, but that is true. That it is you know that is a large component of yeah. Of I mean, game you design. Learn, how make, learn how to make people happy. You learn what motivates people. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you could. Yeah, you know, I'm sure that Zynga has some psychologists on oh, staff. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, well, the, I went to school at Rensselaer, and their games program really it kind of grew out of the the CogSci uh, psychology department in many ways. Yeah, I did focus a lot more. I, I the one thing that I knew as an undergrad was that I didn't want to help people, so I definitely <laughs> focused on the sort of the research aspects of it. Um, yeah, you did not want to be a clinician. I did not. I, <laughs> I wanted a BS instead of a BA. If I was going to get a BS degree, I wanted it to literally be a BS. Okay. Um, what about you? Yeah, Kevin? I was. I have two BS degrees. Yeah, uh, I've got uh, I've got a degree in philosophy and a degree in theater arts okay. from MIT. Yeah, so that's, that's the that's, that's the, the twist <laughs> of Kevin's story. Wow. So, I'm sort of a I'm sort of an outlier in a bunch of different ways. I until I met Kevin did not realize that you could get either of those kinds of degrees yeah. from MIT. Philosophy, I guess, makes sense because there's enough overlap with math. Yeah, I mean, it's got a really strong philosophy department, um, and also you can also cross register at Harvard. Uh, as uh, as a student at MIT, which is where I took almost all of my philosophy classes, mm. so it was my back door. <laughs> How did you guys go from there to running asymmetric? I had always sort of like I'm old enough that when I was a kid and first getting into computers, you could just you know magazines had game source code in BASIC in them, and you could just go to a Walden books and buy like a Tim Hartnell book of, of game programs. And I sort of learned basic from that sort of scene. Uh, and just, spe- you know, I had, I had always just kind of screwed around making games and uh, it, it seemed like in the era of one guy in a bedroom being able to make a video game was over. And then that, I guess, sort of turned out not to be true once the web became a thing. Um, I sort of had IT jobs and stuff, and the reason I sort of went back to school to get a psych degree is because I 
got fed up. I, I had a contract job at Intel and I got fed up with the corporate culture. And I was like, that's it. I'm getting out of computers. And then like three months later, I got a job in the computer lab at the school that I went to and learned the stuff that it took to make Kingdom of Loathing and then did that and it took off. And that was how it ended up being my job was it just went from a hobby to a thing that was actually making more money than because you when it started for the first year or so you had a day job and were doing KOL on the side right yeah I was eh. I don't remember if it was six months or a year and okay. six months but yeah let's say it was a year and six months so and that was just you so you were doing all the programming all yeah the, it everything. was yeah that's kind of how it got off the ground is I knew just enough about databases and just enough about you know web design and just enough about server administration and stuff to get all of the pieces of it going and so I did the, you know, the art was not exactly intended to be programmer art. Like it was intended to be final. And it was like, oh, this is just what the art style of this game looks like, which is just, you know, scanned, hand-drawn pen art. Which it continues um, to be to this and day. And stick figures, which it still is, yeah. yeah. Um, and and so, yeah, I mean, the, I don't, I had tried some collaborative projects, but I was always... I, you know, looking back, it's easy for me to say I was the only one that ever did any work on any of them. And so they all got hung up waiting for somebody else to do something good. That probably wasn't true. But this one definitely like I sort of set a goal for myself to spend a week on it and then get it in front of people in the hopes that other people being interested in it would motivate me to not just abandon the project. And it just totally worked. Um, and then as soon as I, I asked, I started asking for money. I started getting way more than I needed to run it. And then I started like, okay, well, I should actually really focus on this. So is that when you started growing the team? Because it's more than just you now. So how big is your team, actually? Uh, there are five of us at the sort of core now and several contractors that come and go as as various projects come and go. Um, the first thing that I did, I started working with a buddy of mine from high school uh, who just started doing some of the writing and design. Um, and you know, when, when you know, we both still had day jobs, um, after a while, once it got to the point where I was able to start paying myself more than I was making at my terrible IT job, I started paying him. And then we opened the cash shop in the game, which increased the amount of money that we were making tenfold just overnight. Just wow. literally, like there was this daily average, and then there was 10 times the daily average after that, which continued for 10 years. Wow. Um, and so at that point, I bought. Uh, I bought a house to use as an office and then hired another couple guys, another writer and another programmer. Um, and then I hired Kevin initially just to do Animations. some art and animation stuff that I didn't want to do. Um, there were these, there were these custom art things that we were selling and people kept submitting their own sort of terrible animated GIFs and I needed someone to fix them. And Kevin's, sensibilities were close enough to mine like Kevin can tell whether a piece of art looks like mine or not in a way that a lot of people can't because people just think a stick figure is a stick figure yeah um, which is not so true I, just, I mean you guys have a very consistent art style even if it's you know quote-unquote yeah. simple yeah and I mean that's a, that's a thing that I spent you know I'm not going to say that I spend a lot of effort on it but it is definitely a thing that I think about like I always scan everything at the same resolution and everything at the same line weight and you know use the same kind use, of pen yeah, yeah. 
Pilot Precise V5, which I know you're a fan of. Yes, that was actually uh, that was pretty much what uh, what kind of inspired me to to reach out to you guys to do this. Is uh, our we're, we're pen. pen brothers, right? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I have another thing. So this is a little bit different. Um, so in the game, you guys have cocktail crafting, mm-hmm. and the the reason I I thought of you guys is I was talking to Keith. Uh, I was kind of lamenting the fact that in games, alcoholic beverages, they, they're always like, oh, they make your screen kind of dizzy and give you like a slight boost to something that's basically irrelevant to the gameplay. And that's a shame because, I mean, alcohol is like a rich part of my life, you know? And, uh, and, but, and then he mentioned Kingdom of Loathing, that you guys actually have a, a vibrant cocktail crafting system. And uh, when I was, I was, it's been a while since I played Kingdom of Loathing, like in college. So I, I made a new account yesterday and booted it up and got some cocktail ingredients, right? Because you get them when you first start. And then it lets you experiment with recipes. And right away, I was able to come up with a couple recipes just because they're, they're real cocktail recipes. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of cool. I mean, it's like kind of borderline educational games, right? That you can learn about real cocktails from, from Kingdom of Loathing. But, so what's the backstory behind the cocktail crafting? Um, I, when I was first working on Kingdom of Loathing, had just played uh, Paper Mario and really liked it. And I really liked the crafting system that it had, which was just take two items and combine them to make a third item. Um, And I thought, hey, I could do that in this game that I've been thinking about doing. And then I also, I mean, I I also enjoy alcohol. I would say that alcohol is probably one of the five or six most important things to me. Uh, So I was like, well let's not just do food let's also do booze and then you know the so kol's energy system is you know you get a certain number of of turns to play per day and the primary way that you get more is by eating and drinking um so it was it just kind of was fundamentally an important system to begin with it's like a reality simulator yeah drinking gives you more adventures Mm -hmm. oh yeah, yeah eating gives you you know more energy to to get out there and get stuff done are all the are all the recipes like real cocktails? No, uh, it it gets goofy real fast. Like when you it's, you start getting like you know the magic paper umbrella or whatever, and so we have to start just making kind of it. Making cocktails is not like a grid, but yeah. making cocktails in a video game kind of has to be a grid. Yeah. So we just well, we sort yeah. of made a lot of stuff up and filled a lot sense. of stuff in. Does it ever go the other way where you start making real drinks based on ones in the game? People have done that. Yeah, there's a guy, um, this guy uh, Ross, who made a game. It was a it was a KOL like game called Twilight Heroes. He also embarked on this Tumblr project to make every drink that existed in KOL and, and drink <laughs> it and report on it, including like. And this is a thing that people have done at KOL, like LARPs and live events and stuff, is to sort of recreate the grossest. Uh, there was the salty slug, which was I think just like a a martini with a snail in it oh there's a there's a, a sort of automatic bartender that you can make in the game and sometimes it eventually explodes and these sort of joke awful cocktails pop out of it and people have have made those and they're like the tomato daiquiri yeah just sort of like frozen blended marinara <laughs> sauce and rum yeah, <laughs> super gross oh my god <laughs> Which I guess that actually just kind of sounds it, like if you did it with it vodka, sounds plausible it would just be a yeah. bloody mary right yeah. it would just be a frozen bloody mary tomato daiquiri awesome yeah. you guys ready to get a little technical sure okay um so we've got a couple categories for for technical things we can talk about but you guys don't kind of the two of you don't represent the entire spectrum of game development necessarily uh, we can talk about programming art game design business okay which what are you most interested in talking about um 
I think art is probably not going to be super interesting. For yeah, our, our I mean, the art, is, the art is I draw stuff on a sheet of paper and then yeah. scan it and that, process That is a really interesting yeah. style, though. And the fact that it's not, it's not just like, like, it's not just programmer art. You know, like it's it's designed to be shipped. You have a strong style. You you have a sense of like kind of staying on style, which is very yeah. much like a real artist kind of thing. Do you have any artistic? <laughs> this question. So a lot of these questions I came up with are sort of general. Uh, if do you have any artistic influences, you know, for no. your art style? Not. I mean, just a just a. Like the is that just something you've always is probably drawn? a fundamental lack of any kind of formal training mm-hmm. that would. Because I feel like in a lot of ways, the way that I look at, like, the first chapters of an art history book where it's like, this is the kind of things, this is the way in which, like, medieval scholars who did not understand perspective would draw things and, like, nothing ever overlapped. And I'm like, oh, that is kind of how I do it. Like, just the sort of naive approach to the representation of objects. I and thought I mean, you were going to say, like, Neolithic cave paintings. <laughs> <laughs> but I've just gotten a lot. I mean, that's probably the same. Probably those have a lot of the same just extremely naive representations of things. I mean, I, I feel like I've just gotten a lot of practice. And so the style is kind of, I had made this, this card game that I just did placeholder art for that was more or less KOL's style. And I showed it to my buddy who was an artist and he said, this, you should make a real thing where you do the art for it and have it look like this because this is, this is cool. And I thought he was just being nice and maybe he was. Was this the robot game? <laughs> uh, no, this was a this was just a just this sort of dungeon card game that, that actually it's where a lot of the early KOL iconography came from. I see. Um, so this, did this predate King of War? Yo, yeah, by okay. by several years. Um, but it was just a thing that, that where I was like, this is this is just a placeholder of what this would look like. You know, is this a thing that you would maybe want to do the art for? And he was like, no, you should do the art for this because this is cool. Um, so yeah, I, I just stumbled onto having a style that was the result of my sort of failure to make something traditionally good there are times when you specifically set out to make something that's cute because that has appeal to uh, the the masses yeah we i guess we we find that things sell better when they're cute Uh, i mean sometimes things are just supposed to be cute right yeah i think it's also probably easy to if you are looking for cute art to look at kol's art and say oh that's cute just generally it's a you know it doesn't get like even the even the things that are described as being really grotesque are like they're still just like sort of goofy little. It's not very grim dark. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, so actually, that that kind of leads into another like a business question. If you guys are interested, which is mm-hmm. how how do you decide what kind of items to create and sell? I mean, obviously, creating things that are appealing is important if you're trying to you know create things that people want to buy, create that desire to buy it. Uh, you know, making stuff cute is one way to do that. Like, how else do you guys decide what to make? That is the hardest and sort of most unpleasant part of the job. And the way that KOL's business model works is that every month there's an item for sale for $10 that is only available that month. Um, It's not as straightforward as that. There's like basically a coin that you buy for $10 and the item of the month costs one of those coins. Uh, But you can get it on the player economy. Like it, it is possible to get everything without ever giving us money if you say play them in-game market wisely or you know just spend a lot of time farming the in-game currency like we try very hard to make it so you don't have to give us money to get like not just a a good experience out of it but for it to be possible for you to literally get the entire experience for you to get everything well instead of like selling access to new areas we tend to create something that sort of 
gives dis- you access. dispenses tickets yeah. to a new area so that you can give them to other people. Yeah. Mm. Um, and those, those people don't ever have to actually give us any money. Um, but they become a source of income for you as a player. Oh, that's interesting. So, that right? kind of reminds so me of uh, Valve. They do they sell a handful of items for TF2 that are like party items. Like you you bring one into a into a server and it gives something to everybody. Some of them are explicitly like it's a bundle of gifts where everybody on the server gets one. But sort of things that make like uh, items that you can use. I think uh, in Dota they do it for te- your teammates. Like things you can use that buff your team. And so so it's an item that you can use to kind of gain a social standing with the people you're playing with. Yeah, and that's you know we. With our economic model, we kind of bucked a lot of the trends that were arising in free-to-play games. When when KOL was made, free-to-play wasn't really yet a a curse word. Yeah, uh, it was. And, that was sort of predating a lot of like the Korean MMOs coming over when that really introduced it. Yeah, and I mean, RuneScape was like a little bit older than us, but not, but only by like a single-digit number of months, or whatever. Like they, I mean, they became much, much more popular, but. Uh, and I think largely because they had graphics. And so you wouldn't like take one look at it and think, ah, this is some baby thing for babies and just wander off. Um, it, but the the in-game currency and the cash currency are completely fungible in KOL. And they're just, we, we, we doctrinally yeah. do not place walls in between paid content and unpaid content. Like that is a core part of the design of everything that we sell is that this this can't be that big of a deal. It needs to be worth buying, but it can't be so big of a deal that it is inaccessible to anyone or or changes the game changes the game so like much. super fundamentally. Yeah. Which makes it very hard, you know. It, it it a lot of what we sold as items of the month were these just sort of collectible pets and at first, you know, this is oh, this is just a new thing, but then as they started gaining some in-game utility the next one had to have more in-game utility and then we couldn't do that same thing again and it just got harder and harder and harder and yeah we tried to for a long time we tried to not obsolete anything that had come before but we've been doing it for 11 years now yeah. and so there's you know uh, over 120 yeah different wow i, I didn't realize you guys had been running the store for that long yeah the yeah. power creep right that's the term for that that i can imagine yeah. that being hard yeah, I mean, it definitely exists, and we definitely have not avoided it. Um, yeah, I mean, you need some of it to keep things interesting, I think, you know. You, especially the way that KOL's core gameplay loop works is you don't just keep getting to be higher and higher levels. You play through a sort of mainline set of quests and then start over at level one with a little bit of added power from before. So it's just like this constant new game plus cycle, which is... It makes it so we can't keep adding content just by saying, all right, instead of this is a plus 10 sword instead of a plus nine sword. So everything kind of has to fit in the same ecosystem. Um, but what that allows us to do also is like the unpaid content that we make is just always there and probably relevant every once in a while to every player. Yeah, we don't just have to put new content at the end game. Uh, we can put stuff anywhere in the game. And because you're playing through it regularly, at least the sort of more committed players are, then you're going to see it the next time you play through the game. So we can put something at level two and it's it's there now forever and for everybody. How long does it take to play through? I actually didn't know that was an aspect of the game. So for the super competitive people, it's like a couple days. Wow. Um, and they just kind of play it continuously over and over again? Yep. Yeah. Like how many times are we talking? Like how many, t- like, do you, do you know the, the player that's played through the most number of times? The A woman, uh, uh, 
fairly a fairly elderly woman, as I understand it, recently hit a thousand, having played through it a thousand times. Wow. On on her character. Um, People also have multiple characters, so they'll play through the game on the play through the game, you know, regularly on two or three different characters. Yeah. Because because the game has a fundamental sort of hard limit on how much you can play in a given day. If you want to play more, the easiest way is to just have a second character that you can. Hmm. That's play pretty with. common. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I feel like that meandered a little bit from. The, oh no, that's okay. From, no, from that's the, absolutely from the business yeah. question, but but yeah, I mean it's. It... Well, it's interesting because, I mean, you guys, we've talked about this before. Like, I think, Zach, we specifically talked about this at uh, the Infiniminer party at GDC about how, you know, sort of why we're, why we're in this, right? Why are we, why do we run these companies? Like, it's not, I, I don't, I think it's safe to say that for both of us, it's not purely for the money. Yeah, certainly you know? not. And that it's, it's hard. I mean, I, I'm, I, I, I'm glad that we don't have to make free-to-play games that our games are sort of downloadable games that can be purchased because that we don't even have to think about like oh god how do we how do we do these sort of economic mechanics in game that support a free-to-play game like you know it's very easy to start kind of going into stuff that i guess like isn't morally wrong but is not stuff it's not in the spirit of why we're doing this you don't you don't I think generally, like we have to make ethical decisions about a lot of our game design decisions all the time. Yeah, and I th- I think that it, it is reassuring to me that whenever anybody in the forums grumbles about something being cash grabby, like thirty people will rise to our defense. Oh wow! And kind That's of good. explain explain our principles, for, and that leads me to believe that we're doing a fairly good job of sticking to our principles. Yeah. Um. Which have I've always had the luxury of being able to be very generous with it, you know, and it, like it, I worry that I would find it hard to just like lay off all of my friends instead of start getting sleazy, like when it finally yeah. drifts down into unsustainable territory. But I, yeah, you know, it's I, I would you know, this is one of the reasons that we're going to try just making a game that we sell to yeah. people for like 10 bucks and then we're done. Yeah, it is nice, just the, the ticket to, to access it. Yeah. But I mean, I think that in order for in order for us to make downloadable games and get anything like the amount of money that KOL brought in at its peak, especially, they would have to be successful beyond any reasonable potential yeah. that they would have to be successful. So it's it's kind of a double... Like, that's the thing. I, like I said, I've been extremely fortunate to, to be able to sort of keep keep the company at its size and at its like relative level of comfort and, and happiness and not, you know, not, I don't know. I don't know. Kevin, is this an okay place to work? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys want to talk about that? That's one of the exciting things about having your own company is that you get to make all the rules. Uh, what, what are the, what are the exciting things about working at your studio? Oh, the the well, perks or the things that make it unique or anything that's cool about working at asymmetric publications. You can sort of live anywhere, so that's cool. Yeah, we're uh, sort of we're sort of scattered all over the place. We're yeah, not. we don't really have a, a centralized place. Ke- Kevin and I have some, some office space that we rent in San Francisco that we share with another studio. Um, that you've been to, I think. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, you've been to a couple times. Um, it's very, you know, it's very, it's very flexible. Like, basically, everybody sets their own hours. Yeah, they set their own hours, and and it's more or less like just sort of here. I have a thing for you to do, and you you know I know you'll get to it, and you'll do it, and it's and it's terrible. I mean, it, but again, it's we've had the luxury of being able to do that, right? Like, what do you mean it's terrible? Well, it's I always feel, uh, I don't know, I don't, 
I always feel like I'm a terrible manager because I feel like there's a lot of times where just like nothing gets done for a week. And I feel like, well, I, if I if this was a job where I was working for somebody else, they would yell at me if oh, this yeah. happened. So, so you don't, that you don't, you're not a micromanager. I must be doing something wrong. No, no, no. I'm not, I'm not even really a macro manager. I <laughs> like barely managing at all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm a firm believer that if you if you're the boss and if you think you're doing a great job, you're probably completely wrong. Mm, okay. You should always be completely skeptical of everything you're doing because it's just kind of the position you're in. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. What do well, I, yeah. What I tell? Yeah, I know this is the this is the first episode, so I know none of your guests have ever asked you this before. But what are, what are the perks of working at Zactronics? What what is your environment like? And oh, we have a I free can... salad. Okay. Yeah. We, is that it? Is there a salad bar where that? No, so I every typically like like three days a week, um, I will make a, a big salad for whoever wants salad at lunch, because yeah, a lot of us are we're big salad eaters. So okay, uh, yeah, so just free salad. You know, today we had taco salad. Okay, uh, you've got a real uh, you've got a real elevator pitch answer for that question. Yeah, now yeah. I feel. Hmm. Yeah. Also, well, we, I, I have a standing desk, which I'm very proud of. That we, uh, I guess, we're not as good as some companies when it comes to ergonomics, but. I, I like that I have a standing desk. I have sweet. one that converts from sit to stand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. You have to, yeah. The, the ones that are permanently locked in standing position just aren't viable. You just have to get a tall chair, and then at that yeah. point, it's just an inconvenient sitting desk. <laughs> I don't know. It's interesting. You, we, so we're all, I guess the difference is you guys are like a remote studio. We're all in one office together yeah. all the time. And the fun thing about that is you really do get to set more of a culture. Well, you get to micromanage people too. You can literally watch over their shoulders. Um, but again, that's not really something to strive for. That's that's kind of a bad thing. Uh, but we get to set the culture, and like you know, we get to have like things that we provide for people, and it's I don't know, it's fun. It's like having you know, it makes it feel more like a family. Yeah, it's been it's been neat being in an office with another game studio where we can actually like yeah, there's people that you see every day, and like I kind of miss that from having a day job. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Do you guys like cross pollinate with the the studio that you share your office with? Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. Do you like cross pass them in the halls, and that's it, or? Well, I mean, it's a very very small office, and there's a lot of people in it all the time, so <laughs> it's more like. We stand in line with them for the bathroom. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, you know, talk and joke around a lot. I don't know that, like, the stuff that they're doing is so different and so beyond the stuff that we're doing that it's... I, I think that might be a little different with the new game because the new game is actually, like, you're a guy moving around in a 3D space. And so, oh, wow. I, you know, they, they've talked about, like, being kind of excited about, like, oh, man, we can, we're going to be able to teach you so much about like shaders 101 right uh, yeah. to make this look cool well they're gonna have right. fun yeah I'm excited about <laughs> the, it yeah. the, the shader programmer at campo santo gave you some homework yeah I had, I had, yeah i was complaining i was complaining on our podcast about how impenetrable shader toy was and like how shader toy which is this online like webgl toolkit for writing shaders but it's not cut out for like here's what a shader actually is and is used for. It's cut out for like hot dog programmers to do crazy things that shaders aren't supposed to yeah. be able to do. Yeah. So I was kind of complaining about that. And he was like, all right, I'm going to teach you the basics of how to use shader toy. And then, so he, he did, we just sat down together. So this is actually the answer to your cross pollination question is yes. Yeah. And here's an example. Paolo so cool. taught me how to write a shader. You guys might not be working together on projects, but they're there to provide expertise and they don't yeah, mind, right. they don't mind yeah. talking to you guys if you need yeah. help. Absolutely. Like we've That's definitely cool. like had it because our, uh, the, the project that we made for the educational company was done in unity and they're working in mm-hmm. unity. And, and it was, it was great to just have 
them to ask questions. Resident Unity experts. Yeah. Are you guys going to be doing Unity for your next game? Yeah. So. Yep. Cool. I want it to be able to run on an iPad, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I hear well, that's I hear that's where it's at. We should well maybe. <laughs> we should talk about programming. So you have a tech I mean, so you don't do programming really on a day to day basis, but yet you're talking about programming shaders, so clearly you're you're kind of uh in with that. I do uh, I do. So so much of KOL is just PHP code stored in database fields for mm-hmm. various things. So I, I I definitely do I mean I so I do scripting every day. Okay. Uh, but I mean, I, you know, I wrote all of it to begin with, and it, yeah. it, 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 so I still do some of it. Mostly the stuff that I use, we have a, we have a programmer that is a, that is a contractor who's been with us for many, many years. It's usually like, if I want to do something like, I really don't like writing JavaScript. So if I want to do mm-hmm. anything that requires any interaction with the DOM or JavaScript, I just have him do it. Um, if I want something that's like, sometimes I like, coming up with a system and then figuring out how to code it but sometimes i'm like uh, that's intimidating i'm just gonna ask the other guy to do it yeah absolutely. Um, delegation that's important yeah so yeah. i just i do i do the and i do as much programming as i enjoy doing which is which yeah. is some yeah and you get to pick the problems that you want to solve yeah exactly pass you on should the rest. Uh, you should tell about our uh source control all oh, right our source control is um vim swap files if I go to edit a file uh, and it says this file is already open uh, by Chris Moyer, then I will know that Chris Moyer has that file checked out and that I shouldn't touch it. Um, do, you, do you guys really not have like a real version control system? Well, I think that he has secretly installed Git uh, on the on the server. I mean, we do we we literally do all of the coding either in like editing text areas in web apps that we wrote. Mm-hmm. Which, which you know, there's there's no version control necessary there because everything always belongs to one person, whoever's making it. And well, you know, you'll occasionally stomp and edit, but like, yeah, whatever. The the other you know nice thing about version control is that it lets you roll back to previous versions. Yeah, but oh god, okay. So I, I feel like it's important right here to insert a note for anyone who's listening. <laughs> yeah, that don't for the love of God use version control. There is we... no excuse to not use a real version control system. Don't be like the uh, the employees of asymmetric publications who don't use one. Well, here's an excuse. <laughs> we don't need it, and we would so far have never benefited from having it. And so yeah. even if it was only five so seconds a day use. of extra oh, time, God. boy, is it not. Oh. You know you know what? You know what that the guys... That is actually an interesting cross-pollination discussion. Yeah, you know what the guys that we they have lost uh, share? Days and yeah, days they have lost days, days and days and days of work. To Perforce. Like, well, I wouldn't encourage you to use Perforce. But... Sure, but I mean, it. my primary interaction with source control is people getting yeah. furious that they've lost work because of something that they didn't understand about their about their source control. I, and I, you know, oh, yeah. this is just I, one of those things like, you know, like, <laughs> oh, well, I'm yeah, drunk yeah. every day, it's fine. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> you know, but... I understand where you're coming from, but I wouldn't want to encourage anyone listening to follow sure. your advice. We, we also I, don't I mean, have much of a, like, separated development environment. We have even... We have a dev server where we run code to test stuff, but a lot of the things that we edit actually just get edited live. Yeah. Yeah, I th- and it's and it's so simple. It's all stuff that is so simple. Yeah, right. Uh, that yeah, it's just <laughs> that's that's the thing. It's not. It we really don't need it. It's and that that you know when you say there's no excuse, like well, okay, if you are like if you're a a guy who all he does is make yak butter, that's an excuse for not using source control. <laughs> yeah, right. So that's true. Yeah. I just don't. I didn't need realize it. your backend was powered by yak butter. But, yeah, uh, that's yeah. It's just the know. one, just the one churn. Yeah. We take turns. 
<laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So what? What? So your server stuff? It's P, is it just PHP? Do you just have like a single server running PHP and databases? No, there's um, there's two database servers because so it started out on, I mean, it started out on shared hosting, which I kept getting kicked off of hosts for too much traffic. Uh, moved on to it's like a good a, problem to have. Yeah, yeah. About ten years ago, we bought hardware uh, and installed it in a rack in a data a data center here in Phoenix. Um, and I mean, right now we've got, we've got like a proxy server, a redundant backup of the proxy server, six or seven boxes that are the web servers, two database servers, one box that used to run our forums until it crashed the other day, uh, another couple of miscellaneous pieces of pieces do you keep, like manage all that is that yeah. your job there's we have a guy that does the actual like sysadmin stuff mm -hmm. on a contract basis but yeah it like if something needs to actually happen physically at the data center i go down and do it oh wow so he's in he's in vegas okay sysadmin. yeah so i guess that's a place where your it background comes in handy yeah because i certainly wouldn't know a thing about managing that many servers yeah, I mean, that was the thing. It's it, like the fact that I knew just enough about all of this stuff to get it off the ground means that I kind of have to do everything. Yeah. <laughs> so that's But that's cool, also what I gave guess. you the, you know, let you start it in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. It's just all of your skills as an individual. Yeah, no, no I, 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 you know, I complain, but I, I can't. You love it. I do. I can't. I, like, I was thinking about this today, actually. I'm like, man, even on the days when my job sucks, it is still like the best job that I can imagine having. And I, I think I really believe that. Like, I don't think that I'm just like whistling past the graveyard. I think, I You're think I for yourself, right? I think yeah. I actually believe it. Yeah, boy, I'll tell you, my least favorite thing is being told what to do. Um, <laughs> so that's definitely yeah. That I can point. relate to that. So maybe, yeah. maybe even if I was like a, if I was a freelance janitor, I would also think that I had the best job in the world. Make my <laughs> no own one hours. can tell you what to do. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Do you think the people uh, with uh, first names that? start with letters towards the end of the alphabet have a harder time being told what to do and people with first letters that start closer to the beginning alphabet are, are more okay with it do you think that's what the division is because like both of you oh, are man. sort of like it's fiercely independent and i'm sort of okay with it or i can be independent okay whatever you know? anecdotally well, I mean, yes okay yeah i mean there right? is... like, we have three data points here yeah that's that's I mean, sufficient there is a psychological measure that people just exist on a spectrum and i don't remember if it's called reactance i think it might be called reactance okay. but it is basically like what happens in your brain when somebody tells you what to do and some people it's like oh i just get this amazing sense of peace and purpose because now i know what to do and some people are like i immediately flip that guy off with both <laughs> hands um and I mean, like, I'm definitely on the other side. So if you flip something off with one hand. Zach, how do you feel about like speeding tickets and stuff? Do you get real oh. mad? With, well, like when you have to deal with a bouncer at a bar or. I, I'm trying to think. I don't really, I've sort of eliminated all the authority figures from my life. Oh, good. Um, oh, I mean, there's the government, right? Well, you, you should drive faster. You should drive should faster. Drive That's faster. a way to slowly yeah, reintroduce I guess, some. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I have a good balance of hating authority, but being terrified of it, I guess. Oh, okay. So yeah, like, oh, I wouldn't speed. First off, because everybody drives like a grandma here, and uh, second, just because that's I don't know. That's... Where do, where is Zachtronics? I don't even know. Seattle. Aha. Uh -huh. Well, okay. specifically Redmond, which is not Seattle. Yeah, all of your roads are all screwed up. That's why everybody drives so slow because a lot of times it'll just end at a bunch of rivers. Oh yeah, people. Even with yeah, people. I don't I don't understand. I'm from the East Coast originally. People drive faster there. Mm. But, uh, oh well. Um. Okay, so we got a little bit of time. Uh, we're gonna get into the uh, the good stuff. 
Lots um, of good stuff. So uh, tell me about a time that you totally screwed up and uh, how you survived <laughs> it. Man. The emphasis <laughs> on surviving it. I don't want to just hear a story where we you have... just screwed up and that no, was the this end is of best, it. Like, we have the best. This is, the, the, this is my favorite, favorite two stories about... Uh, so there was a point at which I was trying to... Uh, and this is one of the disadvantages of doing it live. I was trying to change the size of a database field that, that, uh, that stored the player's currency and switched it to a data type that had that thing where if it becomes negative one, it actually becomes five quintillion. Uh, and that rolled out live. And so there was an item that you could use that it was just a joke item that just took away some of your currency. And if you use that when you had no currency, you suddenly had an infinite amount of currency. The, the uh, and so rather than and we talked about this a lot we like so I, this I spent, is like this is out in the, the player economy for 12 hours probably so yeah before it got uh, fixed. people took so advantage were, of it yeah yes. like a, a few hundred people took advantage of it which was enough that like okay that's more that's more meat which is the currency than would yeah, ever yeah. have entered the environment ever throughout all of history right so we just had to figure out what to do i mean first i just cranked it down so like all right there's no way that anybody had more than like four billion so it's just like the most you could have is four billion which is not not an, a totally insane amount in the economy but then because we didn't have very good backups then there wasn't really any way to roll back and i also kind of didn't want to take everything away from everyone who had just been playing normally and not being exploity uh just because these few hundred people did it and so we just kind of we introduced the penguin mafia, which would just start going around and beating up people who had a lot of meat and taking it away from them. And then we, we give some like player incentives to, yeah, to we, just throw, yeah, throw we set up currency. a leaderboard for just wasting meat. Yeah. Uh, like just how much, like th this leaderboard just says how much meat you will throw away to be on this leaderboard. Um, Did people put do a bunch it? Of, yeah. Oh, yeah. Lots of them. Just billions and billions and billions gone. And I wouldn't say that it, like, recovered super quickly or super gracefully, but it definitely, like, demonstrated. I felt like it was more important because I knew that this was not going to be the last time that I screwed something up. Yeah, and so yeah. I felt like it was more important to, like, kind of set a precedent for being able to gracefully handle something like that, to try to build a world that could handle a, a, a sort of infinite currency bug without having to do rollbacks. Um, because like I said, I just really don't like the idea of taking stuff away from people who didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then... Did you come clean publicly just about what happened? Yeah, or, yeah, 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 yeah. We always okay. we always have, and we have always really fostered a, a culture of people being willing to find and report things. We sort of items that we will give you if you there's like the bug finder blade that is a sword that you can only get if you find like a pretty serious bug and tell us about it. Um, but we like never really discouraged scripting or, you know, poking around because a player base that big is always going to find things that you couldn't yeah. find, even if you had a real QA department, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, but then a few months after that, when we did start having regular backups, uh, quasi regular backups, at least I, we had split the database server into two boxes. So a lot of stuff existed on one physical machine and a lot of other stuff existed on another physical machine. And that was just a sort of, we had the fastest servers that we could reasonably afford. And so we just needed two of them to, to be able to handle the, the growth that the game was experiencing then. And I went in to make a fresh backup of one of the servers and I thought, okay, well, there's this table here that's some data that I'm not using for anything. I don't want that to spend the extra time backing that up. So I'm just going to drop that table 
but what I accidentally did was hit the link that dropped the database, which was just irrecoverable. So we ended up with half the game's data from the previous day, but the other half of the game's data from like three months earlier. And it was just stuff like if you had an item in your mall store three months ago and you had moved it since then to your inventory, once we restored this, you just had it in both places and a bunch of that kind of stuff. And then a lot of people also lost a bunch of stuff. Um, so so were you what, not backing up the second database? We were, but not as regularly. I, I don't exactly remember Backups what the situation had, had, had sort of stopped working six weeks earlier for some reason. Right. I think it's interesting right. how both of your screw-ups have to do with not backing up data. Yeah. Which is what version <laughs> the, control the version control is for, perfect. Uh, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, yeah. so we have that. I mean, after, after, <laughs> after, since then, having spent thousands and thousands of dollars on stuff that will actually do rolling backups of the databases. I mean, like... I also kind of didn't know what I was doing, and this was still when yeah. this was still when it was on uh, a dedicated server that wasn't that I didn't have physical yeah, access before, to. Before, oh, yeah. Bought, so what had happened was the scripts. I, I you reminded me of this. The scripts that ran every night to do database backups. There was some thing in it that caused it to halt, and it only mm, yeah. had like half the tables. Yeah, that's yeah. Um, it's easy for stuff like that. Engineering is hard. I mean, yeah, <laughs> we have a performance server. It's been broken for months, and I haven't gotten around to fixing it yet. <laughs> but again, we just decided. All right, well, so we 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 had a lot of time to think about it because it took like forty eight hours to restore the database backup just wow. because of the way that hardware was set up. And yeah. so we spent that time like concocting this huge like time travel world event where these time rifts appeared all over the place and we're explaining why everything is all screwed up and we had also we were in the middle of a different world event that we had done where uh, on columbus day we sent a few random players these blankets uh, (laughs) and we didn't tell them this but like getting that blanket would give would set this flag on your character that over the next couple of weeks anything that you said in chat just got slowly paler and paler and paler until you were just speaking in white. Um, it, was, it became it became known as the gray plague. Yeah. And so, and anyone that you sent the blanket to and anyone that you sent a private message to would get infected with the thing. And it was just happening over time. So we ended up tying the time travel thing into a thing where you had to go back in time to the cola wars, which was sort of our like civil war uh, epic time. <laughs> and, expose them to it so that their doctors would have developed a cure for it at the time and um, you brought that back yeah and so it people enjoyed i mean i'm sure a lot of people just quit because they lost a bunch of stuff we also just if somebody said they lost something we just gave it back to them yeah we spent yeah. like we got it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of man hours just like taking people's request like People would say, "I lost these. I know I had these things. I don't have them anymore." And then just wow. more or less trusting people and just giving them the stuff. Because like it was easy to kind of verify it. Like it was easy to tell if it was somebody who was clearly just making it up. But like yeah. we couldn't be super sure about it. Yeah, but it's yeah. like, but you don't you know, need to if be, we're gonna right? help. If we're gonna help five thousand people and four people are gonna rip us off and get some free fake stuff that didn't cost us anything anyway, like yep. that's probably fine. Yeah, but so that was an, another thing where we just dealt with a huge problem by just adding more content and trying to yeah. work it into the world around. narrative. Yeah, yeah dealing absolutely. with it in fiction is also like it like that that makes people so much less angry at you yeah. if it's like, oh, it was a it was a joke. I deleted all of the, your data on purpose so that we could do this funny time travel thing. Like, yeah, that's 
That's really fascinating. Yeah, so one thing that we're really big on is is having like really good interactions with our customers, usually in more traditional ways, which is like through support. But that's really fascinating, like really kind of kind of bringing them into the experience and bringing them into the problem with you guys through content and making it fun. Our, you know, as an online multiplayer game, our whole product is just interactions with them, right? Yeah. It's in sort of in sort of real time. And so it is oh, yeah, very yeah. much it is very much a service rather than a product, which I think throws us into a very different. I mean, we kind of have to do a lot of that stuff yeah. because yeah, exactly. otherwise it wouldn't be a thing. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's kind of the whole business is making content for people. Yeah, and keeping it live and running it. Yeah. Huh. Are you so? Are you going to tell us about a mistake? Oh, oh God! Um, you're going to have to do one of you're going to do one of those <laughs> for every episode of the show. <laughs> Just keep that in mind. Make more mistakes. I make lots of mistakes, not that many. But uh, well, so let's talk about word realms because I think that Uh, uh, oh, that's a pretty big mistake. Yeah. In what way? So with word realms, I wanted to make a game where I could do none of the individual elements of it. So it was written in a language that I didn't know anything about. I didn't do the art. I don't know anything about animation. Um, I just wanted to like, what if what if we made a game where all I did was design it? is kind of what I wanted to do. And I think we just sort of, we hired badly to some extent. We didn't show the game to enough people, so there weren't enough people to tell us, like, ah, this is not very good in the beginning. Like, we sort of only showed it to people who were KOL fans who were maybe either part of a very small niche who would be into the game or at the very least just didn't want to hurt our feelings. Yeah. We, it took, we thought it was going to take six months and it took five years yeah. But it was largely just because I got so fed up with it that I just kind of was like, ah, instead of killing it, you screw just you! Sort of... I'm just going to keep paying for this and ignore it, like <laughs> which was not one of my better management moves. Yeah, I mean, in the end, it probably cost us about like 500 grand to make this game, which has wow. probably we had a Kickstarter, which we had a Kickstarter which we had hoped would either overfund or fail. Yeah, and it just yeah. sort of just it just, just funded it, well, oh, which it, is it, always the worst, like right? <laughs> Yeah, we got like 130 grand, 120, oh, okay. 120 That's... from the Kickstarter, which was like, well, fuck, now we got to do it. Oh, sorry, I didn't. I don't know if we're trying to avoid chili peppers. Oh no, I'm trying to encourage it, honestly. I mean, like, okay. well, I'm not not encourage <laughs> it, maybe, but yeah, feel free to say yeah. Anyway. All right, we can we can re-record some of the earlier parts with more profanity if you want. Yeah, just in, insert it randomly. But yeah. it was basically what it was impossible for me because of how screwed up the engine was to like develop content for the game and it was so much more rewarding to work on kol that i just sort of like let it languish i mean it was like four people's jobs you know it was it was just they were still working while you were letting it languish yeah yeah and i mean they were still making the thing but then it was like all right well if you did this thing according to spec then i should be able to go in and do this and this and this and none of those things would work because nothing was ever done according to spec and it's like instead of you know were these we didn't people all working remotely? Well. Was it yeah. remotely? Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah. A lot of them were. The 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 programmer was. Yeah, the programmer was. Yeah. And it was, you know, it it was just a case of like hiring a friend, not yeah. ever really having worked with a you know a, a contract programmer in a thing that I didn't know anything about before. So like, oh, maybe this is just what it's like. You know? Yeah, no, that's that's something I've actually heard from quite a few people who've run into situations like that, where they, they thought it'd be easy, they didn't really, they weren't, like, enough involved with the programming, and I, programming is kind of spectacular in, in the way that, like, if you do it wrong, um, you have a really good chance of doing damage, and, like, you know, inflicting negative value. 
Yeah. And uh, and it's 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 riskier than like just art. You know, worst case you just have crappy art. You know, yeah. but with programming they can actually like make stuff that you have to spend time to undo before right. you can start making progress. It's, like it's an hour of an hour of this person's time can cost everybody else ten hours. We there were there were yeah. entire chunks of sort of game logic that we had to we spent six months just redoing because it, wow yeah it just wasn't flexible enough for what we had wanted the game to be from the very beginning so we ended up spending all this time on it it just didn't turn out to be very good we didn't know how to promote it we yeah the, we assumed that the audience would be much larger than it probably is yep um all sorts of just just a bunch of just really really bad decisions and choices um yeah. So you asked before about my my mistake. Ironclad Tactics is exactly what you just described. It took too long. We didn't really, you know, we made something that not enough people wanted. Um, it was it was definitely a similar situation. Well, I've I've played them both, and Ironclad Tactics is definitely a way better game than Word Realms is. <laughs> you know, I am optimistic though. I I honestly do feel like I learned something from it because when we went to do the educational wait like basically we the only good thing that happened as a result of word realms was the scout guy from the educational software company saw us at indicate i think a fan of kol gave us the sort of like pity nomination for it to be in the in the festival at indicate <laughs> that guy found us hired us to do a basically a better version of it they were like just redo the art redo the programming basically make it make this game except not shitty yeah and then all I did was the design, except it worked this time because we we hired a programmer, which we hired a programmer that we paid three times as much as we paid the initial programmer that we hired for Word Realms, who had experience in language that we were working in and had shipped products before and was a guy that we weren't friends with. So we could just tell him what to do and not have there be any weirdness with that. And it went great. Like, it, it was a, like... I wrote it such that, and this is what we're doing with West of Loathing too. We basically wrote all of the content for the educational version of, of Word Realms, Master Swords, in what is essentially KOL's engine, and then handed the data off to the guy and said, make a real game using this data. And when we change this data, the new game, the real game, needs to import this data, and all this logic that we build into the scripting needs to work. Yeah, we basically and... have our own sort of in-house scripting language and oh, are okay. just, just having the programmer build an engine which parses that scripting language into game events. Um, and so there was a point at the end of, towards the end of development, when there was a just fundamental structural thing that just wasn't working. And I proposed, like, well, what if we just completely change the way the game is structured? Because I can just do that in the scripting. Like, I could sit down for 20 hours and just fix this because I can do it myself because of the because of the level of abstraction that we learned we needed as a result of the fiasco that Word Realms was. Yeah. And we're doing the exact same thing with West of Loathing, and it's going great. Yeah, and we're, we're basically building the game twice, right? Because we're building a... We're building a web version of it to just test the content and just dick around and be able to play through it, and then a Unity version, which actually looks like a real video game. Yeah. But they use the same data. Um, and, uh, you know, apparently, like... When I talk to people about that, they're like, "Yeah, that's how that should work." Yeah, yeah. unless it's it just one person sense, making yeah. a game. You know, you 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 have to have, you know, I don't know, just a like designer scripting is a is a thing that yep. I feel like yep. some studios try to avoid and some studios really lean on, but it's the only way I can imagine working. 
Yeah. Otherwise, you have to go to a developer if you want anything done, right. and uh, and that's not really acceptable. Yeah, we 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 go the extreme route that all of our designers are also ex Microsoft programmers. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> so yeah, but yeah, I mean, I I would be I would be like severely hampered in what I could do if I didn't have just complete access to the code base and the ability to go in and change anything I want and get away with it. Yeah. So cool. Okay. Um, is there anything else you guys want to talk about? We're sort of wrapping up on an hour. Well, I don't think so. I'm I'm really excited about this podcast, by the way. Yeah. I, I hope you record a bunch of them so that I have a bunch of them to listen to. <laughs> you can listen to everybody else's screw-ups and feel yeah. better. Like, we're all screw-ups. That's the great part, right? I mean, it's uh, um, you were talking about, yeah, like you learned a lot from it. And I think that, you know, they say like, oh, it doesn't kill you makes you stronger, which is totally like a lame thing to say. But it's really true. Like, if you if you didn't go out of business, it doesn't matter what you did, right? Like, you, you live to, to fight another day. Yeah, that's and true. And I think that's an important thing. Um, okay, so I have one fun question, which is what is your favorite, if you have one, your favorite software tool for developing games? Hmm. So I'll answer shock. first if you guys need a second. Go, I go love it. I love Excel. Okay. It's, if this if this was like a sponsored podcast, it would be sponsored by Excel because I think Excel is like absolutely the best tool for game designers, right? Like it I just you could you could put everything into a chart. Like it it allows you to take any problem and break it down into a, a table and solve it. You know at this equations. point <laughs> Slack. Oh yeah. Is really What's that? Slack is uh so you know how uh Maybe you don't know this, but uh, the, the people who made this game a long time ago called Game Never Ending, the game sort of failed and never really took off. But over the course of working on it, they also made Flickr out of their, their internal tools, tools yeah. which they then sold for millions of dollars, which they oh, wow. used to make a game called Glitch that mm -hmm. also was not successful at all. But yeah. they spun out their internal tools into now like a multi-billion dollar company called slack i don't know that it's billions it's billions yeah. they're 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 their building is made out of money sure um but anyway it's it's basically just irc for businesses with it has logs oh, okay. it has it yeah. has a bunch of uh, it has a bunch of software integration and stuff so it's like it just the ability to like oh i, I need to sh i need to communicate something to somebody so i'm just going to like it, my the, the tool that I use the most for developing KOL is Jask Paint Shop Pro 9, right. uh, which I've not <laughs> bothered learning anything newer because I'm so fast in it. Yeah, yeah. It would just, you know, I, there's until they, they can have it when they pry it from my computer that runs an <laughs> operating system that it won't run on anymore. Uh, but I can just draw something, copy it, paste it into Slack. Here's a picture of what I'm thinking so that we're all on the same page here. And it's just... It's great. So much of KOL's development was done in this internal chat channel in KOL, and just having a logged chat is so useful in terms of like, ah, oh, I know this problem happened in the past. What did we do you to deal with it then? Back we can just it. go back and Search. look at the look at the conversation uh. that we had about it. Um, and Slack is just that, but for your entire everything that you do organizationally. So. And that makes a lot of sense because you guys are distributed. Yeah. So. On the flip, we're in one giant room, on, so for something like sure. that, it would make a little bit less sense. But yeah, that's that's really cool. What I mean, you, white, whiteboards also. Mm, I think. Yeah, yeah. That's... I, I sort of jokingly said Photoshop because I feel like it is, <laughs> it's not necessarily the tool that I use the most often, but it is a tool that when I go into it, I feel like it can do absolutely anything. Uh, Except open animated GIFs. Well, that that's that used to be the case. There was There was this weird period of four or five years where I had to keep an old laptop running an old OS with an old version of image ready. Cause that was the only thing that I could find to open animate like these, all of these animated files, the players would send us that looked terrible that it needed to 
That sounds like a fun job. Yeah. <laughs> Cause the, the only other, like they, Adobe evolved their product suite to a point where you, the only way to open an animated GIF would be to buy like a $900 program just to open an animated GIF. Yeah, it was not fireworks surprising. or whatever. Oh what yeah. That? Yeah. Yeah. That their web image program. Yeah. They, fi- they finally sort of figured that out. Okay. I have one last, last question. Okay. Uh, I somehow missed this one. Um, do you guys collect metrics and make any decisions based on it, like design decisions or business decisions? Not as much as you normally would, I think. I feel like a lot of like live games with with active player bases spend a lot of time analyzing player behavior, yeah. and we especially free to play. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when when I do it, it's I tend to just I kind of want to know. If I make a new thing, I kind of want to know how many people are are playing with it. And like, if there's a thing where it's like, ah, you get to this point in the game and you can either go this direction or this direction, like how many people go, you know, left here versus go right here. So I can see like, well, why? What is it about that one that makes it more appealing? And like, how can I, how can I, you know, make the other one seem cooler so that, so that that will be closer to 50-50 or, or that kind of thing. It's like, like I, I mean, this just sounds like a self-aggrandizing thing but i feel like when we do use metrics it's to try to figure out how to make people happier rather than yeah. to try to figure out how to make more money so just for, for gameplay balance yeah less I mean, sinister just, purposes yeah but i mean we do a lot of <laughs> internal stuff i mean i i hooked up google analytics a couple years ago when we got into the new studio uh one of the guys there was like you know he asked me some question and i said i don't know the answer to that and he's like well what does google analytics say and i said what's google analytics He was like oh my god uh, so we Turn that on, and I get—I don't know—I guess there's some data there. Yeah, <laughs> it's we we collect a lot of metrics, but it's all through a custom system because we've never had a lot of—I mean, like getting anything like that to work with a game is hard. I guess you guys have a web game, yeah, which is a little so bit easier, but yeah, right. yeah. Well, so like, what 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 are the metrics? So, I mean, I I see I see charts at the end of like an Infinite Factory. Yeah, gameplay. is that is that what you're talking about, or are you talking uh, about no? Other, I mean, well, that does that is actually how we so we have histograms at the end of levels, and that is how we generate them. But like, we literally at the end of every level have a survey where we ask you what you thought right. of the content because we're in early access, and I think it's you know a fair thing to do. And we collect that data. Uh, we collect data about. I mean, with a puzzle game like like Infinifactory or Space Chem, like the biggest thing we care about is how hard are these puzzles. Right? And the way we can measure that is by we log an event. We use like event-based metrics. We log an event every time somebody starts a puzzle, every time somebody wins a puzzle, every time somebody exits a puzzle. So we can say, you know, oh, on the aggregate, you know, somebody had this puzzle open for four hours before they were able to solve it. And we can compare this like across all of them and kind of say like we we actually in Infinifactory identified like oh you know even adjusted for like the the progression in the game like these three puzzles are way too difficult. That's amazing. That's that's so, really cool. It is, yeah. It's very. I mean, it would be. We, we, I, I would literally not be able to make those decisions if we didn't have the metrics, right? Because how would you know, like, which puzzle is the hardest? It's like, uh, some people on Twitter are complaining about this one. You know, right. it's like somebody on Twitter complained to me about a puzzle that was like, looking at the metrics, not too hard. And so it, it really gives us like an objective way to make these decisions that would otherwise be practically impossible. But then it's also, I mean, it's rough though. The the human element there is like, if somebody says a puzzle's too hard, then it is too hard for them, right? So. Like just for them maybe, oh maybe you but the i'm saying maybe the twitter person well no i'm just saying that for the twitter person like maybe there are certain things that where you design a puzzle like i'm just thinking of like so kevin and i do some like indoor rock climbing pretty regularly yeah. and there are he's a much 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 better climber than i am but there are certain kinds of routes that i just run up that he just can't get up because of a particular skill that i have and i, and I like i think i are you concerned 
that a particular Infinifactory puzzle might be like, this is not too hard because 90% of people solve it in 15 minutes, but then the other 10% of people can never solve it. Yeah. Oh, like, we, we call that's that a too. different. That's a different thing than like they they wander off and don't bother with it, right? Like, yeah. So we we, we actually look at that too. I mean, like because we can plot all the data with like a box and whiskers and kind of see like, oh, like you know, most people can do this one, but some people take an inordinate amount of time. For the most part, with we have pretty big sample sizes with all the data, um, it, it does become pretty uniform. Like if a level mm. is you know if a level is is hard for some people, like it's probably gonna, like if it's you know if if a level is hard, you know, quotes, uh, it, it's going to be hard for most people. And like obviously, there's some that that you know either take much longer, or much shorter. But like you still get like a a, a normal distribution, normal-ish distribution for every puzzle. What about the people that go back and sort of resolve the puzzle for for optimality? Did you guys track that kind of behavior? And uh, we we do we we have the metrics for it. We don't have uh, we have never looked into it. it. Yeah. yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious how many people me too do now. that. <laughs> yeah, um, I know one person that does it a lot, and that's that's this guy Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I love Infinity. Yeah. That, that's something that we, we sort of uh, anecdotally know to be true from listening to people and all the people who talk about what they love about the game. But I've actually never checked on that's something that we should, you know, we should know. Because we think, could totally be wrong. It could just be the loud people who well, do it. Well, I think it would be a really interesting sort of notion of engagement, right? Because I feel like there are a bunch of people, like, so anecdotally, you know, I have Steam friends and I, I play through your game and like, as you get further in the game, there are fewer and fewer other people, other people that have completed all of the puzzles. So there's like a lot of those people sort of got to a point and they either hit a puzzle that was too hard or they walked away from the game, you know, cause like that's what people do. Yeah. Um, but then there are other people that it, for which it is like, there's a lot of competition and you're like vying for who can get the best score on a given level. And that's a, that's a, a super fun thing to do. If you have a small community of people where you can compare scores that yeah. way. Because looking at the like the all-time or sort of best possible solutions is a little disheartening sometimes because they are so so much better than most people. The number of times I've walked into a room and asked you what's wrong, and the answer has been somebody got one less footprint than my best solution, <laughs> which there just can't be a better one than this. There just can't be. I spent four hours accomplishing nothing. Do you, yeah. are you active on like the Reddit sub the the Reddit community? I I sort of pay attention to it. I'm not. I don't. I'm not active. People. People have their like informal. One thing we've never put in any of our games is a uh, like a like an official like a I guess like a leaderboard like a global leaderboard. Right. But people absolutely maintain their own yeah. because they want to be number one. We actually had somebody build an entire website for Space Camp that was uh, leaderboards. Oh wow. Yeah, because they were really serious about it. That's and, great uh, though. Yeah, they they reverse engineered the save file so people could upload their their save files and then it would take all of their scores and then aggregate them in their like unofficial hmm. leaderboards. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, it was it was cool. We didn't have to do it. I didn't want to implement anything like that. Do you oppose that as a sort of moral stance, or do uh, you? I, I think they're kind of useless, and they they're strong. It creates a strong security target, right? Because if you could hack that, if you could if you could figure out a way to cheat that, it's going to put your name at the top. If you can figure out a way to cheat the histograms, you're going to slightly increase a bucket, you know, <laughs> somewhere. And we're, our outlier code's probably going to dismiss it anyway, you know. So, um, yeah, I, honestly, it's probably more the security target thing that worries me. We try to keep a pretty low profile for, for all those sort of things. And, I mean, it's a competition among friends, I think, is more interesting than yeah. Oh yeah, four yeah. guys just having their name at the top of a thing and, right. you know, nobody's yeah, exactly. going to be better than them. Like, it's just, it's less fun. Yeah, obviously. Oh, yeah. And obviously, yeah, like, we'd have to, like, either show it instead of the friend leaderboard or switch. But, like, you're not going to get anything. You're just going to see, like, oh, you're somewhere in the middle, like, you know, best case, right? I guess technically the best case would be you're at the top. But for most people, it's like, you're somewhere in the middle to low side of it. You know, like, that's not really exciting. Yeah, totally.
Okay. Anything else you guys want to talk about? No, this has been so fun. This Thank you great. so much for having us on your podcast. Yeah. yeah thanks for thanks for participating in uh, such an experimental venture. This has been episode number one of the Zachtronics podcast. Uh, thank you, Zach and Kevin, for joining me. Um, I'll post some links if there's a blog, if there's a page for this. I'll post some links to Kingdom of Loathing and anything else you guys want me to post links to. Uh, thanks for thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us.